0: Episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris?
1: Doing good, Jody. I'm yeah. doing good. How about yourself?
0: I'm feeling extra energetic. I've done my skiing and also my morning workout today, so I'm pumped. <laughs> so Even if, though I don't okay, sound so you, like it.
1: <laughs> so we're we gonna have to keep this short because you're gonna about fade in about twenty minutes here. Is what were you trying to say? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Well, might be a lot of me at the end then. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I wanted to mention something. If people are playing along at home, a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about backups and things. And Mm -hmm. if anybody's keeping score at home, I ended up going with a RAID system for my backup. Yeah. There you go. So now you can sleep at night knowing that I'm backing up to a RAID system.
0: (laughs) I know. I'll get an extra hour of that tonight.
1: I know, because I know people have been clamoring for the answer to that question, what solution I was going to go with. So I thought I'd throw it out there. All right. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about today. And automations
0: and and better workflow. We're talking about what today?
1: Control surfaces today. And I suppose we should mention that we're, we're thinking in this episode, we're not talking about keyboard controllers, that kind of thing that can have added functionality. We'll touch on that a little bit, but we're talking about more from a mixing workflow standpoint type of vibe here right the kind that
0: looks like an actual console that people used to plug into actually a lot of people still do but yes
1: yeah more or less that so the first question i guess we should throw out there or that i will throw out there to you Mm. in a world full of keyboard and mouse type of workflow why do we need a control surface for that human element
0: of touch yeah. <laughs> That's the best answer I can give. It, All right, cool. So it, Friday finds. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's the human element of things. And the reason why I say that is if people keep going back to catalog music from, I don't know, say the 70s or 80s or whatever, before automation really took complete hold of the industry, you used to have to have an army of people, apparently, to do a singular mix,
1: certainly possible, yeah the the more advanced mix you would have and and you're doing all these fader moves across you you might have needed more than you two know, hands and <laughs> fingers or two <laughs> hands right yeah,
0: if you watch something like mix with the Masters that they did with Al Schmidt mm-hmm. in those videos and you watch some of the stuff that he's doing. He's got his fingers up on the faders at all times. And this guy was a master of this stuff, of being able to just move the fader and not use a ton of EQ and compression in order to get a great sound out of a recording. He knew where to yeah. place a mic, and then he knew how to ride the faders. That's how it was done back then. Then yeah. along came automation and made a whole world of change. Right, And the initial systems that were available back then were kind of bizarre i recall one particular system that a good friend of mine had with adats that connected to a console of sorts that had the motorized faders and such and i believe it was made by mackie and it was not the mackie control But it was something precursor to this because the software was not built into the unit and the unit itself was not dedicated to anything but the software that it ran with on a computer. That was how my first recording experience was mixed, was using that automated system from Mackie. And I wish I knew the exact name of it, but I do not. And I've tried looking it up and I can't recall what it is. And the Internet doesn't seem to know either.
1: Yeah, it is a different feel there. And I think to backtrack a little bit before we go into the whole Mackie story and and those the Mackie controls, there is something with sort of like fingers and hands on knobs and faders that that obviously feels different. Yeah, it's the the tactile notion of that. And also when you're sitting and you're mixing with a mouse – You're generally, unless, of course, you're grouping and things and sending to auxes or VCA's and things, you're generally moving one fader and one parameter at a time,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? So now you have the ability to obviously do more, and you can have what can feel like a little bit more of a natural movement to levels and things, and you can do a fader ride and as simple as like a pan automation type of thing at the same time. So I think there's a certain, not to sound too hippie-ish here, but it is that human (laughs) element that you mentioned, like when you're doing that, you're kind of getting into it a little bit more and you can feel a little bit more connected to that. So I think there, there, there are huge benefits to that, presuming you like that workflow.
0: I don't disagree with any of that. And one thing that I will say about it in the difference between Working with a mouse and keyboard as opposed to a control surface is the amount of data that you'll see in the automation, or mm. that you could see in the automation. I should say,
1: in that you mean the little nodes. If you're yeah, the little looking nodes. At, that yeah,
0: it, and I'm thinking in terms of like Logic, but all the DAWs that have automation and nodes and that kind of thing do the same thing. I recall very early on after the Mackie software and getting into recording with logic when it first started doing audio which I can't even recall what version maybe version four <laughs> yeah a <laughs> very very long time ago
1: I that's when you turned me on to logic that's when I got onto the train uh, yeah it was 4.6 I think
0: yeah so i I think they actually added audio functionality in 4.0 prior to that it was all MIDI and the automation that I remember in difference between using a mouse and using a control surface is that the automation nodes that you saw with hand-done control surface nodes is there's a bazillion of them all over the place. But with mouse use, I was very, very precise. It's like at this point I want to start doing this and at that point it's going to end doing that. And he had two nodes and then you could do a curve or something that Logic allowed you to do which was pretty cool. And it took out the concept of doing all of the fader moves and it was a different way to work. Not necessarily better, not necessarily worse. However, control surfaces have come a long way since the days of that early Mackie system prior to Mackie control.
1: Absolutely. But I remember, let's go into that a little bit more of the Mackie, I I suppose, because I remember seeing at NAMM some year, Mm -hmm. presumably late 90s, when they showed the the Huey control, which was the first Mackie control. And there was a version, we were talking about that a little bit before we started recording here, how there was actually a version called the Logic control.
0: Yeah, it was made by Mackie.
1: It was made by Mackie, but I think it was maybe a year or something prior to them releasing it as just the Mackie Hue. And you had different overlays that you could do for different DOS because it it just functioned via MIDI, Mm -hmm. right? But it had you could control pretty much everything in Logic through this, right? So it's like you could essentially put your mouse aside and do a lot of the functionality if you were of that workflow where you had perhaps done and cut your teeth working on a console. That would feel very much comfortable to you to, to have all of that there. Well,
0: it was a lot um, of fun, actually, because eMagic actually sent me one <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and allowed yeah. me to mess around with it and play with it and give feedback and whatnot. It was very much like operating with a console, but controlling the DAW instead. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun to work with. I don't discount it. I think it was great. Yeah, Is I it mean as good as what you get today? No, but it was definitely cutting edge at the time it came out.
1: But it's still around today. I mean they still sell them. They've upgraded it a little bit. Well, the Mackie Huey. Well, the Mackie Huey. Yeah, that's yeah. they've
0: gone from normal MIDI 1.0 to MIDI 2.0 which increases the resolution of what you Are can they
1: do. actually doing MIDI 2.0 on the new Mackie? I believe so. It it goes hmm. Very that surprises very, me actually. If you do. A
0: lot if further
1: along, so to speak,
0: in terms of like instead of one hundred and twenty-seven steps, you get like sixteen thousand some steps or more. The big problem that I remember early on with these controllers is that on early MIDI, having one hundred and twenty-seven or depending on how you count, it, one twenty-eight steps, you could hear the zipper noise or you could hear the movement <laughs> of things yeah. because it was it's not as gradual as it is with an analog device, but now with MIDI 2.0, that's not really a thing anymore. You get a much higher resolution. Come a long way since the days of the logic control and the Huey from Mackie, the early days yeah. of those.
1: Is it for everybody? Maybe not, but it is something to consider. And then you obviously there's a lot of things that we'll talk about down the line here a little bit that you have to consider. But but first, I, I suppose we should touch on also, if we hype these things too much here, but are there drawbacks uh, to yeah. this? course Yeah. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you? If I step
0: back and reiterate what I just said about the early days of these things in MIDI 1.0, you heard zipper noise. Not so much that you actually heard noise noise, but you could actually hear the different steps happening if you were trying to go one by one. So it wasn't very smooth in that regard. And it was a lot better to actually create one node to another using a mouse and allowing Logic to do the actual automation because it was much higher resolution at that point, which is why I didn't stick with the logic control. The other thing that you have to think about is, especially with the modern era of recording and laptops in general, and maybe headphones, having a control surface is definitely going to make you a lot less mobile <laughs>
1: this than is true, depending having on just the size. a mouse yeah. and a
0: laptop. You know, some, there is one that I I believe it's a PreSonus. It yeah, the fader port. Fader port. It's a singular thing, and it's very—it's quite small. You could use that. But then again, that's almost akin to using a mouse, because it's kind of controlling pretty much one thing at a time. The idea of having a much larger unit that has like eight or 16 faders on it is to be able to manipulate multiple things at once.
1: Yeah, no, I think of that, obviously, as well, when it comes to the mobility. Let's say that you do a lot of traveling and things. You know, Logging around a console will, you know, definitely hamper that somewhat, mm-hmm. and other smaller control surfaces that are geared very much toward the the traveling musician, if you will. That we have these, sure. I think it's is it Akai or I think it's Akai or Korg that have their nano controls. They're just these tiny little things, but I suppose they're they're more geared toward programming things, right? When you're you know, you're programming perhaps drum patterns or something as opposed to a mixing workflow. So it's a little bit more of an input device, I think, when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to sidestep that for a little bit right now and just talk about that. And, and another thing, of course, is besides the mobility issue, there is an expense. If this is not going to fit your workflows, if you're not doing a whole lot of mixing, multi-track type of stuff, Sure, it might look cool in your space, but do you want to spend 55000 for a flagship S4? You know, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a, the that's a thing to consider for sure. The other thing you have to think about is, is the learning curve that it takes yeah. to set it up with whatever system that you're using, especially in the age of everything trying to be intercompatible. And not everything is exactly the same from DAW to DAW to controller to controller. Your comment about the expense and having it being there reminds me of a story I read about a couple of guys from Europe who were producers and they came to L.A. And nobody wanted to work with them because they didn't have an actual console in their recording environment. So they went was that out the and dropped, like, Mafia? Yes, it's something like that. Star something or other. I can't remember exactly what they were called, but they ended up buying SSL board just to stick in there that did nothing. It was literally hooked up to nothing, it was just there.
1: It's a laptop stand.
0: <laughs> yeah. it's baffling to me. It's like, really? That's
1: crazy. Well, there is that. Optics is very important, right? We mm-hmm. talked about, you know, the 480. If you have a, <laughs> right. an, an empty uh, controller on on your or remote on your desk, that that looks happening. There is that. So for me, I have a small controller. I have an old Behringer of all things, but uh, it's primarily for I, how I like to have the ability to use faders and just quick panning automation. I like that feeling and just to kind of see it in front of me in, in doing small fader moves. I would love to have a larger consoles type thing, type mm-hmm. of controller, but I find that what's out there for me in my workflow, it's either not enough or way too much functionality for what I want. Is there such thing it's- as too much functionality? Well, it is because it's, okay, yeah, I would love to have something like, you know, a 24-channel thing. But the investment and the return of that for me, like, yeah, I'm <laughs> buying sort of like a trailer to go get my mail in. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's it's that kind of thing. It, it's too much of an invest, investment gotcha. for that. But but that's me. I, I like the hands-on feel. It's something I'm a big fan of. But I would like to have more, but we'll talk about more of what's available out there and – uh See what what might be worked for you as well.
0: What's other things that we need to look at or in comparison from a controller to a keyboard controller, say?
1: There are keyboard controllers that have, obviously, assignable faders and knobs and things that you can assign to your DAW so that you could have that sort of immovable fader, for example, for your your volume or whatever, your master or whatever the track that you're working on. Um, You can assign any knob to control pretty much anything in your daw Mm -hmm. the drawback of that is that you have to assign it to something in your daw it's not instant right so stuck there too right it's stuck there too so you have to really really think through your workflow to have this set up in a manner that it works and it's not necessarily going to change to you go to the next track and then the same knob controls the same parameter on that channel it can be a little bit clunky i know there are companies that i want to say was novation that had midi controllers that were set up for different dolls and it was supposed to be seamless i haven't worked with them so i i can't really say but i heard a lot of noise that people were not necessarily that happy with it wasn't as seamless as advertised type of thing
0: well that's unfortunate yeah,
1: but I think that's also the nature of the beast right? because DAWs upgrade and this and that and things get changed. And so trying to control every DAW and have that set up in one unit, that that's a pretty lofty task. You it's know? a tall order. With a tall order,
0: we're going to take a moment for a word from our sponsors.
1: And we're back.
0: And now we're going to jump into a little bit of like a rundown of people who actually make these things. So kick us off, Chris.
1: Well, we mentioned the Mackie early but that's the first one that comes to mind for me when I think of a controller because I think the implementation that they did with that one was was really really good Mm -hmm. and well planned out the Huey now it had extenders for that so you could add like if if people don't know it was essentially a a control section of it and eight faders and possibly a ninth for master yes it also had a
0: jog wheel as well
1: Right. So you had all this sort of functionality and navigation and things and, and transport controls on that master section. But then what you could do is that if you wanted more faders, you could buy extenders to this that added mm-hmm. an additional eight. And I'm not sure if there was a limit to how many of those you could have, but to extenders, now you got like a 24-fader desk in front of you, right? Right. So I think that was, was a really, really cool one. I already mentioned that I have a dusty old... Behringer here, and I'm not going to go into what I think of Behringer's business practices. That's beyond the scope of of this episode anyway. Let's get some
0: dynamite and blow it up for a video.
1: (laughs) Could be interesting, perhaps. I like the functionality. It works pretty darn well with logic. Mm -hmm. Now, my biggest gripe on this bad boy is it's a noisy little bugger. The motorized faders is... Yeah, it's loud. So they're not but, and Penny no, and
0: Giles is what you're saying.
1: They are not top dollar faders is exactly what I'm saying. Now, with the newer versions that they have, they have a new it's called the X-Touch. I'm hoping they're better. They probably are. But again, there it they have different versions of that where you have more of a control kind of like transport and functionality of your DAW in one and then they have other just like they're just like faders. Mm-hmm. For me, I think the fader part is more exciting because I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you, <laughs> uh, but I do obviously not know about all our listeners here. My guess is that most users have a good grasp of controlling their DAW's playback function using their keyboard. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like that is so integrated in the workflow that has very little to do with a mouse. I've always felt like with a control surface, the transport controls are sort of like redundant to me. Mm. I'm like, well, why would you do that? No, it's spacebar. That's how you start and stop shit, right? And, you know, navigating back and forth. So I, I think that's. For me, again, that's a functionality that's not out there. Anyway, I digress. We have the Behringer stuff. <laughs> yes, You mentioned the Presonus. They have their fader port. And that is a growing series. We have, like yeah, mentioned, the single fader, which is something I've considered as well.
0: Well, it's something uh, they sent me to use and tried it out. And when it was initially out, it unfortunately didn't function very well they've since improved that so it's definitely a lot better and they have it in various configurations now they have yeah. the single fader port they also have one with eight faders and then they have one with 16 faders and they are modular which makes them very nice so if you wanted to get a whole lot of faders together you could buy a couple of 16 fader port units link them together and you got 32 faders on on your desktop right there and they do a but very they're good no
1: we're not necessarily extenders, though. You're just buying another unit, right? Yeah, so but you they would work have together. multiple. Yeah, I'm a big fan of having that, just the faders. But anyway, mm-hmm. that, that, that's me. One thing on the fader port that hopefully somebody from Presonus is listening. One thing that I thought was a glaring emission from on those, because I strongly consider them at this point, and I, I still might. We'll see. Each fader doesn't have an individual panning port. Mm. So you have to go up and assign something to one wheel. If you, for example, let's say that you have a stereo pair that you're going to affect at the same time, you have to do that in two passes because you can't do it unless you sort of like assign it to the faders. And do a bit. But now there's more operations. So I would love to have like just a dedicated pan pot on top of each fader.
0: I hear you. I hear you.
1: But that's the fader ports. You know, we kind of mentioned the smaller ones from like Novation and Korg and Akai, and right. all those smaller input type of things that could be good for input type of stuff if you're the musician on the go, if you will. Mm-hmm. These all work with pretty much any DAW, right? They kind of like more or less plug and play because it just use MIDI protocol and there's some setup in your DAW, but mm-hmm. they, they work all the way through. What else we
0: got? SoftTube makes a thing called the console and they have a version of Mark II. It's a dedicated controller for their particular software, but Universal Audio is on board with them as well. And it's a little bit more of a dedicated controller, specifically for their software and for quite a few of the UA plugins that gives you a very tactile way to work with those particular offerings.
1: So I think those look very appealing to me as well. Mm -hmm. The initial one came out, and it didn't have... The fader section of it—it it was just knobs. Right. So that was one of those things that you kind of have to wrap your head around that. I'm controlling level with a with a knob as opposed to a fader. <laughs> just like, fader. well, that's that's weird, right? Yeah. But now they have that, and from what I understand, the way it works is you load their console plugin on your channel strip on each channel. Yep. You open that, and that will control all the parameters that you might need. So that that's a cool thing because it has the well, a full channel strip, essentially. You mm-hmm. got compression, you got EQ, and all this kind of stuff there. That's a really, really cool one. Now we're stepping up a little bit in price range here. with doing these as well. But yep. it's supposed to be cool. It's going to cost, right? What would
0: be the next one in the price range?
1: I would, well, about the same ballpark there, I think, With but the SSLs mm-hmm. that have come out. We mentioned those. I, I think both you or I probably at one point <laughs> yep. had them as our Friday find at the uf eight. Mm, and they yes. they look they look sexy. They look really, really cool. <laughs> and uh, th- they also have their sort of dedicated plug-in controller for the SSL channel strip. And that's the yeah, um, UC1. UC1. Again, that looks really, really cool. But now, as opposed to being open and assignable to any kind of plug-in, now we're, we're, we're dedicated to a certain thing, which is awesome if you're using The SSL software. Right. Because now you have the functionality of of that right at your fingertips and you're you know, you don't have to mouse around. So there's that. You know, another sort of first that where we talked about the Mackey and stuff. Euphonics. uh, There you go. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the euphonics. They
0: were a very sexy looking unit when they came out. There's no question about it. They were extremely sexy. And they were made with high quality stuff like the Penny and Giles faders and everything. So you knew that they were of decent, actually not even just decent, as really good quality. Then they got bought out by Avid and mm-hmm. things changed. They still look sexy. They're still good controllers, but they're made mostly of plastic. And that's just meh to me. And as much as I like the look of them and the way they actually connect, they connected with Ethernet cable instead yeah, of that was different instead, instead of the MIDI USB yeah. which also gave them a higher resolution in terms of how they could give you the information which is a good thing the euphonics the EU control now owned by avid that probably just call it a Pro Tools controller
1: that, I think yeah the avid controller that they kind of come in. and then of course now we're sort of stepping up and we're getting into the sort of avid ecosystem here the high end market. There's that, but it's also, could be not necessarily low-end, I don't want to say that because it certainly isn't, but but they have their S series mm-hmm. now, right? Which I think is, at least at the time of, of taping of this, is, is the the current version, where it has what looks like, I, I want to say Euphonics controller, but <laughs> I'm going to slip <laughs> on the tongue, but I mean the Avid controller, mm-hmm. that has the fader and functionality, but you can actually add an iPad to it. Ooh. To run an ad that, that adds the metering right. on it, they look really really cool. And I think whether you're you know, somebody who runs Pro Tools at home and you want to have this kind of functionality, that might be a way to go. But certainly, the larger ones that are there in post houses and things like that that tend to be predominantly Pro Tools, right? Right. They look really really cool because again, th- these grow and you can have several of these. And you again, we talked about. I can't remember how we talked about it, but it was like Captain Kirk, right? You're, <laughs> you're sitting at, at the Star Trek command, and you got all of these, and they look sexy as all hell. So now, you know, the sort of combination there I'm thinking of touchscreen and hardware. So you're kind of starting to blur those lines a little bit, I think.
0: Well, you can go even further with actual touchscreens and not even go with the kind of hardware. you got the yep. iPad has the dedicated logic control app. Yeah. So it's what's almost, your experience with that?
1: Have you have you messed
0: with that? I have. I think without a hardwire it becomes a little bit behind the curve, so to speak. It's not quite as right on the money as one would hope. Yeah. But it's not bad. It's good for what it is. Yeah. Especially I when think you're that- talking about going over Bluetooth, it's not really the the most ideal way to do things, but it's definitely something that can get you into the control surface mindset without having to buy the hardware. Yeah. And it's free.
1: Right. With yeah. Logic. You just, right. Funny thing with Apple, we think that, well, oh, there's no dongle. Yeah, there is a dongle. It just costs you $3,000 <laughs> so and that's your computer. And your right? iPad. <laughs> right. It, then it's kind of ironic here with the Logic controls because... Mm-hmm. Now there really isn't a tactile thing anymore. Right. It is in that you're using your finger, but you're not feeling a fader or a knob or anything. So I've heard people that just swear by them, like, yeah, I try to get into XYZ controller, but this is what works best for me. From yeah. the logic.
0: everybody's controller. got now their one, preferences.
1: One thing that's cool though with these is if you're the type of artist that you're tracking yourself, or let's say that you're you're a singer or you're a drummer. You might be tracking in a different situation, not in front of your computer. It does uh, make works. it easy so you for can, that. So you can you can trigger everything that you do from your control that You can just have it basically on your iPhone, you know, in your in your vocal booth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just turn off notifications when you do. Uh, (laughs) Right. Then there's
0: the the really like high end version of the whole touchscreen thing, and I know there's been multiple companies that have been trying to do it, but Slate Digital is pretty much the one company that's made it a reality on a scale that a lot of people have purchased into, and that's their Raven series.
1: Yeah, those look really, really cool as well. They do, and And they even have big
0: hands-on thing,
1: but it's all touchscreen. It's all touchscreen and you could have multiples of them and you can do all your editing. So now you're basically you're editing without your keyboard, mm-hmm. right? If you choose to, right? And there's that in mixing without your keyboard. Everything is sort of like hands on deck. And they again, if you go back to the the optics of things, like it looks pretty darn impressive if you got these like built units for them that houses two of these. You know, and you walk in, and, and yeah, you really get the the Star Wars effect, and it's like, wow, that's now they look cool. So there, you know, there is that. And I mentioned before the flagship sort of version of this current version of the S controllers from from Avid it is that the S four twenty four channel. But then you're you're plunking out some serious cash. It's like fifty five thousand plus. Like if if you get one of those, so for most sort of like project or home studios, it might be a little bit excessive, a little overkill. The Ravens, I think I, I don't know what they're go They're they're not that expensive comparatively. I could be wrong, but I think that the Ravens themselves are about fifteen hundred bucks.
0: Oh, that's yeah, that's reasonable.
1: That's kind of cool. So, what's your thoughts? Do you have favorite functionalities? I know you've had some different controllers through the year, so that you kind of mentioned, but what's your sort of like favorite functionality? What would you like to see? What, what turns you off them if they do? And, and what, what's the biggest appeal to you?
0: How much they can control. If they can't control a certain amount of the DAW, it's not very viable to me. I'd rather just use a mouse if I have to go with a lack of control so to speak so setting something up that is constantly in need of being taught to the daw you know yeah. do the learn function it's very easy it's nice but at the same time if it's one item per controller that becomes unuseful with the new ones like the ssl uf8 oh, that's a sexy beast right there and The next time I dive into purchasing a controller, that's the controller I'm looking at getting is the UFA.
1: Yeah, yeah, they do look really, really cool. And they're made
0: of metal. I mean, they're they're a solid piece of kit. That's the reason why I go for that. I don't want something technically made from plastic. I want something that's got heft to it.
1: It feels like a solid unit. It feels like it's a real unit kind of thing. You're not going to break it when you start you know aggressively mixing <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right and you know I like to aggressively mix I get in there I want to work it so
1: as one does yes. right yeah from my viewpoint I there's basically just two things that I would love and I would love to see somebody actually do this mm. and that would be to have an extended range like let's say up to 24 faders smooth faders and just a pan op assigned to each I don't know additional knobs the, other than the pan knob and the fader? Not necessarily, because the way, I mean there could be, but then you're getting into that same thing. It's like, well, what are they assigned to? Mm-hmm. And do I have to do the assignment of them? So for me in my workflow, I think I would like, because I like the overview of seeing all the faders where they are, mm-hmm. being able to control them without having to go through different pages and that type of thing. Yep. And just control level. And a pan mm. if there were other ones for like let's say inserts for a couple, just send levels, that would be awesome. but that's all I would like. I don't think anybody makes one like that. If somebody knows about them, please let me know because I would love to check it out. So all the other transport functions and automation modes and all this kind of stuff, I do that through my keyboard. Mm, yeah. you know that that's that workflow has been been doing it for a minute so it all those things that you do without thinking about them what, what kind of key commands you're hitting and all this kind of stuff that's my take on it. i would love to have something like that and then if they i'm sure somebody smarter than i am can implement something that's going to be that i had not thought about so oh but you can also do this i'd be more than willing to listen <laughs> <laughs> um so are but, you saying that you need a control surface or no need is a strong word like one yes I like something because I I feel like doing fader moves and things as you're in the workflow is so much easier. Just putting a hand on a fader and moving that, and doing and just the, the tactile feeling of doing rides and whether it's it's panning or what have you. I like that feel. Is it a need? It's close to it for me. Is that for everybody? No, not at all. You know, it, it we've we've been working with a mouse and keyboard for. The better part of, of, what, 25 years, right? So it's certainly doable. That's my take on it. It depends on your workflow, man, but mm-hmm. I like the ability to do that. Uh, what about you?
0: In terms of mixing, I like a more tactile function, but I'm also a stickler for precision. And sometimes I hate that about myself.
1: <laughs> you get that anal retentive nature where the, when the fading line is not completely... Yeah. Yeah.
0: So in that regard, do you need a control surface? No. Do I want one? Yes. Do I of want one made cheaply? <laughs> no. Do I want one made extremely well that controls a lot of functions? Yes. That's why, like as I stated earlier, the SSL UF-8 is the one I've got my eye on.
1: I mean, everybody ultimately has to make up their minds. but But I think the feeling of a finger on a fader and stuff and just being able to do rides in in several at once is a different feel. I'm pro control surface, but that's me. Hey, you know what? What's that? It's Friday fine time. What you got for us, Chris? Spitfire Audio, favorite developer of mine, just released a new series of their origin series and it's a library called Frozen Strings that mm-hmm. I think sounds really, really cool. If you're unaware of Origins, it's kind of like a, a scaled-down version of, of some of their other sample libraries. They're really, really cost-effective. I mean, I think they're like 29 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Frozen Strings are, or is, a string library that is being performed at They say, like, at the point of silence almost. So there's really, really these delicate textures and great for soundtrack sounding kind of stuff. And and I like that kind of thing. So my Friday fun for this week has to be Frozen Strings by Spitfire Audio. And you, good sir, what you got for us?
0: I'm going with Isotope this week. Their RX-9 Dehum module. Yeah? Yes. I was working on a mix the other day, and there's some awful hum in the guitar tracks.
1: You don't say.
0: I do say. <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up pulling out the d hum plug-in and taking a noise print of one of the guitar tracks, and it did a brilliant job of removing that particular hum from the situation. On another guitar track, the hum was... In the actual guitar sound, so to speak. So it wasn't printed, like you couldn't take a noise print of it. Mm. And I ended up using a preset of the noise removal of hum. And it figured out that it was at like point seven to five hertz or something crazy like that and it automatically removed that particular hum so it was really amazing it was almost magical in a sense of having that hum removed and getting the glassy guitar sound back it was really really amazing so that's my pick for this week awesome while we've got your attention We ask that you post about us on your favorite forum or go to our website and leave a review at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com forward slash review. Go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our email list. Doing so, will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast that you love so much send us an email at goldstar g-o-l-d-s-t-a-r at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the phrase control surface and you'll get something cool back in your inbox if you have a topic of suggestion for us to explain in a future episode contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode and with that
1: I'll say see you next week Have a good one, Jody. Thanks for listening to me babble.